Father, we gather together today to say thank you and to worship you. You are far beyond anything we could ever imagine. And we celebrate the fact that you are, as we saw this morning in Sunday school, Almighty God. There'll never be a better covenant that will come along. We don't have to look and search and wonder if you'll ever do what you say you will do. We don't have to look for anyone who outranks you or is above you because you are Almighty God and you are our God because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of our salvation, because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God because we have the inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient, eternal Word of God. There's so much more than we know than other generations were able to know. There's so much security that we have because of the things that we know and that we learn. And we just want to say thank you. And you are worthy, as we uh, have sung earlier. You are worthy of everything. And forgive us when we consider you to be just a part of our life or just a lightweight part of our lives. Let us see you in your holiness, in your glory, the weightiness of your power and sovereignty and of your name and the greatness of your love. And Father, we pray for people that are here this morning who have never trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord. We pray for their salvation today. We pray for the salvation of people who are not here as well, whether it be in the White House or in the House or the Senate or the Congress or whether it be in the Supreme Court halls, whether it be in law enforcement, the military, wherever it may be, even in our own homes. Some of us here today, we have children that need to be saved. Some people have parents that need to be saved. And we're praying for that, Lord, praying for you to do that work that only you can do. And then we think about physical needs. We certainly want to pray for Amanda this morning. And we want to ask you to help her. We pray for Patty, even as she not only deals with this, but as she gets ready for her own surgery. We pray for those we mentioned who are recovering from surgery. We pray for those who are suffering. I think about Chuck Lewis suffering with cancer and ask you to bless him. And we pray, Father, for all of us that have things going on that we don't even know about. They haven't manifested themselves yet. But we know that whenever they do, you will be with us. You will carry us through. You will strengthen us. And uh, that verse is so encouraging when it says you're able to do far beyond anything we could even imagine. And you do it according to the power that you have placed within us, the Holy Spirit of God. And may the rest of that verse certainly be true, that it glorifies Jesus Christ. No matter what we're going through, where we are, or how bad our lives may seem to be, May we glorify Christ until he comes. And with that in mind, we just want to say thank you for dying on the cross, bearing the wrath of God. Thank you that you drank the cup and you finished it. Thank you that you rose from the dead, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you sovereignly rule and reign at the right hand of, the God, of God the Father in heaven. And thank you that you're coming again. And so we say together, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, would you say amen? Let's uh, open our Bibles this morning as we look at the sixth chapter of John once again. And uh, we move on. We've uh, seen several things that Jesus, of course, has done. Healed a paralyzed man and had him take up his bed and walk 
in defiance of uh, some of the traditions of the Jews and in uh, defiance of not the Old Testament but the rituals and things that they would do and that caused them to start coming after Jesus. So you remember he uh, went to Galilee, that northern region on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and uh, while he is there uh, the people find him and they see him and they come and so he feeds them and they ate and they had leftovers. And then uh, after that, the disciples went to the other side or in the northern edge of the lake, actually, Capernaum. And um, they're out there in the midst of the sea and a big windstorm comes up. The waves are high. The uh, boat was tossed and um, they were afraid. And then Jesus comes walking as Lord over nature, Lord over weather, Lord over everything, walking on the water, if you can imagine. And they welcome him into the boat. And then immediately the boat is on the other side, another miracle. And the next day, the people are looking around and they said, wait a minute. And, and we're going to read in our text this morning that apparently they had been watching closely, watching Jesus. Now, here's what struck me. As I read through the text, I found on, uh, I believe it's two times, where something is mentioned about the crowd, the mob, seeking Jesus. And yet in Romans chapter 3, quoting from the Psalms, it says, no one seeks after him. And so I wanted to try to answer the question through this because to me, it's as clear as a bell why it is that the Bible says no one seeks after God because I think we'll see in here they really were not seeking salvation they weren't seeking to have a right relationship with the Lord they weren't seeking heaven they weren't seeking redemption or anything like that at all in fact they had other things on their mind that are very clear so let's begin reading in verse 22 on the following day when the people who were standing on the other side meaning the uh, other side of the lake or the Sea of Galilee, they saw that there was no other boat there except that which his disciples had uh, entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. They were alone. But his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks or blessed it. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And there's that, that phrase, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me. There it is again. But notice how he qualifies it. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor or put forth effort or attention for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal or mark of identity, is what a seal is, on him. Then they said to him, Well, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? 
Now, just stop there. That sounds noble, but I don't think it is. Let's continue reading. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. And therefore they said to him, Well, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and may believe in you? Okay? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And they're kind of saying, do that again. We would rather just have a buffet than anything else. And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives, notice present tense, gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is not a substance, but it is he, pointing to Christ, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Kind of like the woman at the well. Let me drink of this water and I'll never come back again. And uh, he ends up in verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am. Notice that like Moses found at the burning bush. I am. I am the bread of life. So Jesus identifies with everything here that is going on. And he identifies how short they fell of true salvation and of the glory of God. Isn't it amazing how humans can just miss the point? I have been uh, struck recently, especially as we think about the uh, book by Paul Tripp we're getting ready to go through. He made a statement in there one to, uh, in one of the chapters. It's either about the presence of God or creation or something. I forget where it was. But he said that we are confronted with the glory of God in numerous ways every single day and we don't even pay attention to it. Why do you have clothes to wear this morning that look nice and are adequate? That's part of the glory of God. Why did you get out of bed this morning? A lot of people didn't. That's because of the glory of God. Why is it that you look and you see those Bradford pears bursting out and every time I drive by them, I go, you silly, silly tree. You know, because we know what's probably going to happen. And yet at the same time, the trees that bloom in the spring, that's a part of the glory of God. The sunrise and the days getting longer, that's a part of the glory of God. All so orderly, all so consistent, and yet people want to tell us it's by just random chance, just random chance that this happens every year and that they can even chart the sunrise and the setting of the sun, those type of things, the seasonal changes. All of those things confront us with the glory of God. He even said this, when you put a pot of water onto your stove to boil and you turn it on and it boils at the right temperature, Every single time, he said, that's an opportunity for worship. In fact, he says in that book, we have countless things and uh, events that take place every day that are opportunities for us to worship God. And yet what happens? Vroom. It's just normal. It's just everyday stuff. And we fail to see the glory of God in it. Well, that's what was happening here. They say, show us a sign so that we can believe. Are you kidding me? What all had he done for them and what all had happened there 
They, they should have been more than uh, on their faces before the Lord, right? They should have understood. And yet Jesus gives us a key in here, and he basically says, even though you're seeking me, you're not really seeking me. And that's the situation in the world. People are seeking a lot of things, and they may attach Jesus to them, but they're not really seeking Jesus. They have no intention of repenting. They have no intention of bowing down before Him. They have no intention of surrendering their lives to Him as Lord. They just want some of the things that they think He can do for them. So, point number one. Why don't people seek God? Why is it said that no one seeks after God? And the first one would be this, because they just don't understand. These people got up and they said, wait a minute, the boat's gone. There was only one boat. And somebody said, well, we were watching. It's kind of creepy. We were watching and the disciples got on, but by themselves, Jesus didn't get on it. Oh, well, I wonder where he is. And so uh, after time, some boats came over from Tiberias, and they probably were held back by that storm that uh, tossed the little boat that the disciples were in when Jesus walked on the water. So now they're coming in. And so somebody gets a bright idea. Maybe, maybe they're all on the other side. Let's go find them, and maybe the disciples can tell us where Jesus is. Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. When they get over there, they run into Jesus, and they go, how in the world... Did this happen? We know that you didn't get on that boat. How did this take place? Well, they didn't see a miracle in that. And they didn't see any reason to bow down before Jesus for that. They just thought it was weird. They thought it was strange. They wanted some answers. There must be some type of explanation for all of this. And uh, so that's the first thing. They didn't understand anything that was really going on in all of this. And it was all just a, a mystery to them. And that's the way it is when they look at you. They look at you and they go, well, it's cool that you have peace. And it's cool that you have faith. And it's cool that you're not afraid to die. That kind of thing. But uh, I don't really get it because you're really no different than me. Other than the fact that you go to church and they completely miss the supernatural power of God and the promises of God and the need for salvation that are so clear to you in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died on a cross, so what? Lots of people died on a cross. People, Jesus rose from the dead. Well, there are a lot of mythological stories about people being raised from the dead. So uh, really, it's no big deal. And so they just completely misunderstood the miracles. They misunderstood the uh, uh, incidents here of Jesus. How did he get to the other side? None of this makes any sense to them. And so uh, they, uh, you know, finally find Jesus and they go, wow, what in the world's going on? And that leads us to point number two. Why do people not seek Jesus? Why does the Bible say that? Because they seek for the wrong reasons and for the wrong things. Because Jesus just calls them out here and he said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. In other words, see, they still don't get it. They still don't understand it. It pointed to Jesus. But because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, let's make sure we understand something here. What's the big deal about eating some bread made from a poor man's grain and eating some fish that are the size of sardines 
Well, obviously, uh, a little boy's lunch is not going to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Well, we get that. But we also need to understand the context of it. We need to understand there were not any fat people among the average, normal, working class people of Jesus' day. You know why? Because they did not have a problem with overeating. You know what their problem was? Having enough to eat. The whole concept when it emphasizes that Jesus fed them and then it says, and they were satisfied, they were full, they had had enough. That was something that almost never happened in their daily lives. They went to bed hungry every night. They woke up every day hungry and there was not enough for breakfast. There was not enough to go through. Only wealthy people had that kind of food. Only wealthy people ate a variety of things. Only the very wealthy, rich, elite people could ever have a weight problem or anything like that. But not everyday working, normal people. They were always hungry. And there were a few times when they would have a feast like Passover that maybe they looked forward to that and celebrated and kept that ritual whether they believed it or not because it was the one time a year they really got to eat and they really got to be full and maybe eat enough. And the whole concept that the Bible speaks of with the feeding of the 5,000, 12 baskets left over, they didn't have leftovers in those days. Leftovers was not the problem. Oh, what are we going to do? My dad used to call Tupperware, remember that? He used to call, the, call them fuzzy dishes because you put your leftovers in there, seal it, put it in the refrigerator till it come, becomes fuzzy, and then you throw it out. They did not have that problem back in these days. Leftovers, Tupperware, well, they didn't have refrigeration for one thing. They didn't have a good way to store it. So whatever they did have left, if they did, was spoiled. But my suspicion is they rarely had enough to satisfy them, much less more than they could eat. So when this happened, they were absolutely blown away. I mean, I can just hear some guy going, oh man, that was good. Whew, it's been a long time since I've had more than I could actually eat. And maybe the kids went to bed that night after the feeding of the 5,000. And for the first time, little Johnny didn't cry because his belly hurt. Maybe it's the first time that the kids slept all night because they were actually full. They were actually satisfied with what they had. And it might have been the next day that they said, man, I wish I'd gotten one of those baskets of leftovers. We could have used that for breakfast or something like that. And so they were seeking Jesus and they were seeking him and Jesus calls them out on it. You're not seeking me because I'm the Messiah. You're not seeking me because you need your sins forgiven. You're not seeking me because you're under conviction or anything like that. You're seeking me, uh, well, let's put it this way. They weren't really seeking Jesus. They were just seeking breakfast. They were seeking a buffet. Do it again, Lord. This is something that we would really like to experience. So th this is the whole thing. that They've got the whole thing wrong. Now, was Jesus unhappy that he fed them? No, of course not. He was glad to do it. That was a great miracle. But he said it was also a sign who could do this? Nobody but God. That should have been a great sign to them. But they, they didn't get it. And they didn't see the weight of the matter. They didn't see the importance of the matter. And uh, Jesus said that thing about, look, you're putting your work, and let's call it this, your time, your interest, and your energy, you're putting it all in the temporary things, and you're missing 
the things that really matter, the things that are going to be eternal. So you need to put your time and your effort and your energy into finding out who Christ is, finding out what the gospel is, finding out what it means to be saved and receive the gift of eternal life, but you don't really care about that. Does it sound familiar? Sounds like a lot of people today. A lot of people today will follow Jesus if they can get an airplane. They'll follow Jesus if they can have money in the bank. They'll follow Jesus if they can get rid of their cancer. But other than that, not much need for him. Other than to try to give enough money and give enough attention to him so it kind of appeases him so that when we really, quote unquote, really need him, He'll be there and he won't be tending to something else. And it's all just a sham. And it's all a game. And it really is what the Apostle Paul said. All have sinned. And what is the definition of sin he gives? They just fall short of the glory of God. Well, here's a situation where they indeed fell short of the glory of God. And it's like a running back running with the ball and he gets tackled just before he's able to score and the clock runs out and the ball is six inches away from the goal line. They lost the game. He tried, but he couldn't do it, to quote the old Lay's potato chip commercial. And uh, this is what is happening here. He said, you're laboring for things that you can't produce. You need to take that time and that energy and put it into understanding the things of God so that you can receive the gift of salvation, which is indeed free and symbolized by the bread, symbolized by even the manna that came down from heaven that they talked about. So there's no concern for eternal life. It's all about today. It's all about self-satisfaction. And it's all about, can you do another trick? I mean, if they were to do the Lord's Prayer, instead of saying, your will be done, they would say, our will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You exist for us. Do what we want you to do or we're not going to serve you. We're not going to give money to you. We're not going to follow you. We're not going to tell other people about you. And I've seen countless numbers of people in churches like ours do that over the years. God didn't answer the prayer when they wanted it, how they wanted it, so they're done and they just go away from it. Well, the Bible says they went from us because they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have doubtless remained with us could it be any more clear than that and so there are a lot of people that are seeking Jesus not for salvation not because he's God not because he deserves our honor and not because he deserves the glory but they do it simply because maybe there's something in it for me and maybe I can profit from all of this. Maybe it'll like make life better for me. I'll come because it makes the wife happy. I'll come because it's good for the kids, but I really don't come to worship and I really don't come because I care or give a rip about what the Bible actually has to say. Just get this over with. Let's get to lunch as soon as possible. Check this off and then live our lives in the way that we want to. So Jesus says, do not labor time and effort and intentionality for the food which perishes or for this life, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal or mark of identity or authority upon him. So that's where they are. That's where we are. Nothing much has really changed. The more things change, the more they remain the same. Even Isaiah wrote about this in Isaiah 55, verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? 
Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, actually good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. But they forgot all about that. It didn't even enter their mind. All they were thinking was, let's follow Jesus. It's time for breakfast. Let's find Jesus. It's time for lunch. Let's find Jesus. Maybe we can eat a meal and go to bed full again. Maybe we can have some leftovers. Who knows how long this is going to last. Let's follow the goose that lays the golden egg. They saw Jesus as more of a vending machine than they did Savior, Lord, Promise, Messiah, or any of that. And it was all just what they could get. Sounds like our generation to me. A little bit different, but in essence the same. Number three, why does the Bible say no one seeks after God? Because, thirdly, they seek for self-effort and self-glory. We want to have a part in this. We want to do it. We want to earn it. We want to be looked at as being good people. We want to have the favor of God by our works and what we perform. And notice it says, They said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What do you think they meant by that? Well, I think they were just good people who just wanted to be kind and they wanted to help people and they wanted to be, you know, good people, good Israelis and all of this. I don't think so. I think when they said, show us what we can do to do the works of God, I think what they really wanted is, teach us how to take a little bit of food and make it into a whole bunch. They probably would have sold it, wouldn't they? Teach us how we can have this so that we never have to be hungry again, so that our children are always fed, so that we go to bed full, so that we have leftovers. In other words, Teach us the trick. What's the secret? How did you do that? How did you pull that off? And there was something that only God could do. And they said, show us how to do the works of God like you just did. See how short it falls of anything that really matters? See how inadequate, how unsatisfying this is? Jesus would say in another occasion, so what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world has plenty to eat, places to store it, and yet loses his own soul. You see, that's what so many people are in danger of. Maybe I'm speaking to you. You've got all kinds of time to make money, but you don't have any time to read your Bible. You don't have any time to pray. You may or may not come to church, and when you do, you're not really all that interested in it. What does it profit if you gain everything and lose your soul? So what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And one of the things I've noticed is that whenever you can find something that you can do instead of Jesus, Jesus is always kind of cast aside. We'll call you when we need you, Lord, I got this. And the Lord is showing us here, no, you don't. No, you don't. This is something that only I can do. And you've got to trust me and you've got to believe in me. And then, uh, you know, this stuff comes up about... Uh, This tells you where their heart was. It says in verse uh, 31, Our fathers ate manna in the desert. Okay, this is what we really want. We're coming after you. We'll call you rabbi. We'll give you a tip of the hat. We'll kind of make a reference to you. We get the concept of, of having God in human flesh. But what we really want is to have food rain down that we don't have to work for, that we don't have to sweat for, that we don't have to worry about. We want to be fed to the full every single day just like you did over here. And so if you're really God, if you're really the Messiah, if you're everything you think 
you are. The subtle thing here is not only feed us, but keep it coming continuously. How long did they eat manna in the wilderness? Well, for that 40-year stretch, right? And it was every day. And these people are saying, hey, if you really are everything you say, I mean, you kind of identify yourself as being the Son of God, then feed us every day for the rest of our lives is what was really on their heart. For it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So when, when they did ask about spiritual things, eh, it kind of missed the mark and missed it big time. And they didn't ask about how can we exalt God. They didn't say, how can we know our God better? How can we understand his word better? How can we glorify him more? Or the ultimate question, how can sinners like us have peace with God and be right with God for the rest of our lives and for eternity? They basically said, how can we fill our stomachs so there's no talk of worship, no talk of surrender, no talk of submission or a right relationship with God. You see what I mean by that? So Jesus calls them to believe, but they apparently had not seen enough. So what are you going to do so that we will believe? And it's as if they were saying, uh, in effect, you make a claim to be a Messiah, prove it. Okay, a guy paralyzed by the pool had gotten up and walked. When we uh, find Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, when we find Jesus supernaturally getting from one side of the Sea of Galilee to another, well, that's not enough. You're going to have to do more than that. You're going to have to do better than that if you're going to expect smart people like us to believe all of your claims. Isn't that amazing how humans do that? And people do that as though God owes us anything and as though we are the ones who are the judge and the jury over God. And they didn't understand. They are not judging Jesus. Jesus is judging them. And one day, according to the book of Revelation, they will stand before him and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the books will be opened up of all of their works. And can you imagine how ashamed they're going to be that they were in the presence of the creator of the universe, the very son of God, and all they could think about was food. All they could think about was the next meal. Teach us how to do a trick. Teach us how we can eat like that. Teach us how we can keep it all going and use us because we think if you will show us the trick, we can keep it going. No dependence upon God or anything like that. Just simply human effort, which is the way people, of course, live in all generations and the way that they live now. Uh, th this is the kind of thing that just makes me really sad because you've probably done the same thing I have. You talk to somebody about Jesus and they give you that right, 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 yeah, yeah, and they don't really listen. They're kind of acting like, I've already got this, I've already heard these stories, I'm already there, and yet you can tell by the way they're doing it, they don't have it and they don't care. And it's a heartbreaking thing. How can we get people to care? We can't. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of God, right? And so uh, here Jesus has done all of this for them in a public display. Well, that's not quite enough. You're going to have to do more than that. We're going to have to see more than that before we put our approval on you. And Jesus said that thing about the seal of the Father is upon me. Back in those days, common people didn't have a seal. Royalty, now they had a seal. 
They had a ring with a certain insignia on it. They would make a document up and they would fold it over. They would put hot wax on the fold to hold it together and then punch their seal into it from their ring. That was authority. That meant that document was authentic. That meant you better pay attention to it. This is the real thing. And so when Jesus said, the seal of the Father is upon me, he's saying to everybody there, I have the mark of authenticity on me. All you have to do is look. All you have to do is read your Bible. All you have to do is put two and two together and you would see that everything I'm doing has the mark of God. I'm promising things, I'm speaking things, and I'm performing things that only God could do. Yeah, well, if you would do one more, maybe we would give you the privilege of believing in you. Prove it. Can you imagine? And can you imagine Jesus, as he looks at them, shakes his head and said, you're pathetic. You're pathetic. I don't owe you anything. So why don't people seek after God? That's why. Look at the next thing that we find out, number four. Why don't people seek after God according to the Bible is because they miss the point about Jesus. Then Jesus told them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the bread from heaven. Notice he uses present tense. You know what he was saying? My Father gave your Father's bread way back then in the wilderness, but my Father now gives you bread from heaven and the manna symbolized Christ coming down from heaven giving life to people sustaining life for people he is the one that nourishes he is the one that saves and this is the sign and all of this stuff about feeding the 5,000 and everything that happened there those were just signs that the people just huh I wonder what he meant by that huh I wonder what was going on huh that was a weird thing. I wonder if that means anything. And they walked away and they said, I don't know. I'm hungry. Let's go get something to eat. And that's all they really saw out of all of that. And even when he kind of explains it to them, they, uh, then they say to him, Lord, give us this bread. And I thought about the woman at the well. If you knew who was sitting by you, you would ask him for a drink. What do you mean? You don't even have anything to get water with. And this well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus explained to her about the living water and those who drink the living water will never thirst again. Oh, great. Give me this living water so I don't have to come back to this stinking well anymore. Missing the point until the eyes are open. Do you realize that everybody you talk to, everybody you witness to, and even you, if you were lost, you are blind? And it's not that you look at this, I just don't see evidence. No, the thing is, you don't see. You're blind. You're stumbling around looking for anything you can that can be a substitute for God, a substitute for Jesus, a substitute for eternity because you don't like to face it, but you're too blind to see. And that's what was happening here until Jesus opened up the eyes of the woman at the well. She didn't understand what in the world he was talking about. And these people were the same way. All they said was, well, if this bread is so cool and it comes from God and you can give it to us, then give it to us. We're ready for breakfast. Where's the buffet? Where do we line up? Where do we get our silverware? Where do we get our tray? Where do we get all of this? Man, we're, we're in. We want it. And yet that's not what Jesus was actually offering them. He was offering them 
the gift of eternal life. He was offering them the gift of satisfaction in your relationship with God. He was giving them the gift of knowing that they would be perfectly acceptable to God in spite of their sins because there was someone who was coming to be the sacrifice for their sin. Isn't it interesting that he does all this and says all of this, I'm the bread of life. And at the communion table with the disciples, he took the bread and he took the cup and he took the bread and he broke it. This is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat all of it. And in this case, he refers himself to bread again. And remember in those days, they not only did not have enough food, but it was mainly bread. Bread is what they ate, and bread is what they ate several times a day. Now, going back to that manna thing, we have to remember, I believe it's in Numbers chapter 11, the Israelis in the desert, they didn't like the manna. And the Jews of Jesus' day, they don't particularly like him, and yet he's the bread of heaven. And sometimes we act like and sing like, if, you know, if people only knew Jesus, they would just love him. They couldn't help but love him. No, they'll hate him just like the Israelis hated the manna and just like these people. After a while, how long do you think they would be excited about the bread? And even if Jesus threw in a few little fish with it too, how long do you think it would be before they would complain? Well, in the desert, coming out of Egypt, it didn't take them long to complain about that. And uh, eventually, they came to the point where they said, we need meat. Oh, when we were in Egypt, we ate all this meat, and it was free. The government provided it for us. Well, you know how that goes, don't you? What a joke. What a joke. We ought to go back to Egypt. Oh, Moses brought us out here to die. God's left completely out of the whole equation. And then when God does, well, all he does is give us his stupid manna. You know, in those days, nobody asked what's for supper. The only question they asked was, how'd you fix it? They got tired of banana bread and all of those kind of things, right? Manna cotty. <laughs> Keith Green. And when you think about that, that's what people do with Jesus. I've got something exciting. I've got peace in my life. I have joy. And they go, what's different about you? And uh, they're thinking it's a vitamin. They're thinking it's a supplement. They're thinking it's a new exercise program. They're thinking maybe it's a new girlfriend or a new type of alcohol or some drug or something like that. And then when you say, it's Jesus. Oh. How'd you fix it? No excitement. No joy. Not even any interest in all of that. And Jesus ends up in this thing by saying, I am the bread of life. And so, they exalt Moses. And in this case, they were exalting manna, even though their ancestors hated it. And Jesus calls him out about that because he says, It comes from the Father just as I have come from the Father. And you're too dense to see it. And that's why they seek everything but Jesus. And they may call it seeking Jesus, but Jesus is just a byproduct. He's just an add-on. He's not really what they're seeking. We want to eat, Jesus. We want to be full again, uh, Jesus, if, if that would be okay with you. So they acknowledge him, and they get the concept of all of that, but no surrender to him. And that may be exactly the way you are right now. You don't really love Jesus. You don't really appreciate Jesus. You're not really surrendered to Jesus. 
but you kind of like all the things you get whenever you do mention Jesus. You like the thought of getting your prayers answered. You like the thought of God giving you stuff. You like the thought of kind of being in a community of other people that are nice and aren't going to try to rob you or anything like that. I heard a clip, uh, a video clip the other day of R.C. Sproul before he died. Let me clarify that. Before he died. And... Um, Someone said, you know, I've got a brother-in-law, and when I witness to him, the problem is he does not see sin. He says sin and evil doesn't exist. We're products of evolution, and good and bad are just figments of imagination, and evil does not exist. And without missing a beat, R.C. Sproul says, steal his wallet. Now, that'd change everything, wouldn't it? Yeah. And that's kind of the way humans are. It never bothers us until it actually affects us. Now, for all of these people who are missing the point about Jesus, don't care about Jesus, and just trying to manipulate Him and use Him for whatever they want, I wonder what they're going to feel like when they stand before the great white throne that Jesus is sitting on. might be a little bit different at that time. In fact, I know it will because the Bible says... That before they are cast into the lake of fire, they're going to admit something they have never wanted to admit. Jesus is Lord. Right? And I think that'll be the cry of hell. In the outer darkness that's there, in the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, I think you're going to hear people saying over and over and over, He's Lord! He's Lord! He's Lord! He's Lord! And it's going to drive you crazy hearing that. In fact, you'll be saying it. And there's no relief and there's no way out because it's too late. Today is the day that you trust Christ. So what do you think about Jesus? Just a vending machine? Just a historical figure? Just somebody who makes life a little bit better? He's the sugar on your cereal or he's the cream in your coffee or something like that? Or do you embrace him, love him, follow him, surrender to him and trust him as the only way to have the true life that God brings and that is by partaking of the bread of life? Metaphorically, I'm speaking, of course. Have you partaken of the true bread the bread of life today, or is Jesus just simply a means to an end? You need to trust Him today. You don't have any other option. There's no other God. There's no other better offer. There's no other way. There's nothing else. This is it, and it's Jesus. And He comes from the Father to so freely give you the gift of eternal life. And it's more than just like a salesman knocking on your door and saying, hey, I've got a great deal on internet for you. And you know he's not going to put in the internet. He's not going to do anything. He's just going to sign you up and then walk away. Somebody else will come later on. And it may work or it may not work. It may be better than what you've got or it's not better. That's not Jesus. Because when Jesus came and said, I've got great news for you. There's forgiveness. There's eternal life. There's joy. And I will give it to you out of my own resources. And then see him as he stretches out his hands on the cross. As they drive nails through his hands and feet. And then they suspend him between heaven and earth. Watch him as he bleeds. Watch him as he is in agony. And watch him as he gets to the point where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it's at that point 
that he took the sins of those who would believe and bore the wrath of God. He didn't just promise something. He delivered it in himself. He paid the price for our sin. He was buried and three days later he rose from the dead and then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father and I got some news for you. For some of you this will thrill you. For some of you this should horrify you. He is coming back. He is coming back. Are you ready? And so my call today as I end is repent of your sins and seek the true God as he draws you to himself because you you could never find him. The Spirit has to draw you. Believe the gospel and trust Christ as your Savior and Lord and quit getting all caught up in the things that will pass away and just leave you broken, hurting, discouraged, and empty once again. There is a way, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. And that's what he brings to you today. So my question is, Will you trust Him? And have you trusted Him? And for those of you who have, are you continuing to walk with Him that way? Or have you just kind of put Him up in the closet like you did an old toy? Bring it out every once in a while and admire it. But other than that, not much. We are to walk with Him. And we are to live with Him. And we are to feast on Him in a metaphorical sense, of course. And we are to love Him and enjoy Him and embrace Him and be held securely by Him and by trust in Him. That's what the Bible teaches and that's what the gospel is. Not of works or you'd brag about it. It's all by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody want to say amen to that? That's your only hope. So let's pray about it. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, we think about those people and we just are astounded that they would see and experience so much by your good, gracious, kind hand. And yet they didn't get it. They missed the whole point. And yet we see that we're the same way. Had you not drawn us to you, we never would have found the way. You were so kind. Your spirit drew us. Thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, that we would be witnesses for you now. And we pray that other people will be drawn by the Spirit of God to the true King of kings, Lord of lords, the Savior, the eternal Son of God, the one who gave his life for our sins, took the wrath of God, the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave, the one who reigns sovereignly at the right hand of God, the Father who is coming back again, the one who loves us with an everlasting love. Lord, we pray that people through our witness would come to know Jesus Christ and pray that we would have the joy of the Lord as our strength and pray that we would be standing on the promises, holding tightly to our Savior as he holds on to us. And we pray, Father, that as the work of God begins to be manifest in our lives, that people would see it and they would not overlook it like these people did, but they might come to us and say, what happened? And what's different about you? And we could tell them about what they really need, the bread of life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.